0: EMS1.com is the number one online resource for the EMS community and authoritative voice in pre-hospital care. Our members enjoy access to exclusive content from top EMS educators and physicians, award-winning e-newsletters, original video series, member-only product discounts, access to free continuing education courses and much more if you're an ems and not a member of ems1 join the community for free today just go to ems1.com backslash registration that's ems1.com backslash registration to become a member This is it. Once again, it's time for Inside EMS. This is the special Thanksgiving edition of Inside EMS. Put the show up a little bit early because I'm sure everyone's going to be enjoying their Thursday and Friday this week. And here's the man that I will be giving thanks for, for being my friend. The one that we call Kelly Grayson. KG, what's going on down there in world famous Texas EMS?
1: It's going great, man. Having a great time in Fort Worth. Uh, Finished my first lecture today at the uh, at the Texas EMS conference, and uh, got another workshop and a lecture tomorrow. And you know, it's it's the usual reception. You know, people, uh, women wanted to be with me, and men wanted to be me.
0: Uh, Oh oh, my goodness! They
1: held their lighters aloft and swayed rhythmically. Women threw their panties on the stage. You sure that wasn't
0: seizure? You sure that wasn't a seizure?
1: (laughs) Um, No, this conference does a great job. Uh, providing a, a huge amount of quality uh education for for its uh, attendees and they do a great job of, of taking care of the uh of the speaker so I, I it's a highlight of my year every year so
0: well go to my favorite uh, restaurant there in fort worth you know i lived there for over 10 years texas day brazil go ahead and check it out tell, oh, them, yeah. tell them chris sent you and uh, enjoy the uh, salad bar
1: yeah, when when vegans have nightmares at night, the boogeyman looks like a Texas to Brazil. Oh, later. is that
0: what it is? Yeah. So you know, yeah. talk about talk about great education and, and great speakers. Uh, we are going to take a seat at the guest table. With one of one of my favorite guests. I have to tell you, I think they're one of my favorite guests. I know I said that with Chris Call and with Ray Barashansky. You know, last week, but I got to tell you, I mean, the guy who signs our paychecks got to be the Suck favorite guest. The is that is that what I'm doing? Is that but let's yeah. bring him in here. Our editor in chief of EMS one, Greg Fries. Greg, welcome once again back to Inside EMS.
2: Well, thanks so much, Chris Kelly, for your kind introduction. I do think about you at that uh, Texas EMS conference every year, Kelly, because it. Is always scheduled on the same weekend as we open our gun deer hunting season here in Wisconsin. So I'm up in a tree stand watching for the wily white-tailed deer in the woods and imagining you uh, educating the masses, in singing, and singing at the dueling about.
0: piano, singing at dueling piano. That's what he's doing. <laughs> That's right. He goes singing down at the to sing
2: the dueling piano bar. Very nice. Well. Uh, If they ever move that Texas CMS conference to another weekend, maybe I'll try to make it down. Otherwise, I'm glad that you're there representing uh, and living Chris's uh, memories. Exactly. If they go
1: to another weekend, I'm going to make my way up, and you're going to take me deer hunting in Wisconsin.
2: Well, careful what you wish for. I'd be happy to. And I actually have a two-seater tree stand, uh, so you and I could uh, climb up there. Early in the morning, yep, and uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great spot. Just video,
0: video that climb for me, you know, real, real hunters track. They don't sit, so just remember that. But Greg, one of the reasons that you're here today is, you know, there was some there's some, some press releases that came out from the American Heart Association. I think really have some big implications, or they they could have big implications to uh you know public aeds and you wanted to come and join us and kind of lead our discussion today and i think this is one of those topics that we should really get a lot of feedback on but i'm going to go ahead and pitch it to you you old salty podcast dog you and Mm -hmm. uh take us through these press releases
2: so, Chris, thanks for that. A uh, couple weeks ago, the American Heart Association hosted its annual resuscitation science symposium in Chicago, and there was two press releases that came out of that uh, research that was presented that really caught my eye. The first I want to talk about is the headline is Cardiac Arrest Survival Higher in States with Required High School CPR Training. So we've been hearing for quite a while that uh, about states that either uh, legislate, that uh, as a graduation requirement, students should learn CPR or there's certainly a number of organizations and people that advocate for additional states uh, to come online and teach high school students uh, CPR. And the the data is actually quite interesting. Let me just uh, read you something, a couple of bullet points. Uh, 41% of people who suffered cardiac arrest outside of a hospital received bystander CPR before EMS arrived, compared to 36% in states without CPR education laws, and 11.3% of people who suffered out-of-hospital cardiac arrest survived to discharge, compared to 8.9% for states without the laws. I thought that was really interesting uh, in that uh, the, that there's a potential difference in actual life-saving and life-enhancing difference in students or people in those states more willing to act? You know, I guess what's not here is, you know, were those bystanders that g- gave care, people that learned CPR as a high school, high school graduation requirement, or is there some other factors going on in those states? But uh, before I give you more of my thoughts, I thought I would put it to the two of you. Uh, what's your reaction about this That. You know, you have a better chance of survival if you live in a state where high school kids have been required to learn CPR.
0: You know, I I'll go first and I think that when we see some of these states, you know, we we think about what happens in King County, we think about what's going on up there in Minnesota and the work that Alina's, you know, Alina Health has been doing and you know, there really has been a focus to show that CPR really does make a difference. Now, taking it out of the responder's hands and putting it into the bystander's hands, I think that you have the if you have the option of doing CPR, I think that that's really a great opportunity to try to help that chain of survival. You know, they're making this, they're talking about it being a high school requirement. Kelly, I know that you and I had talked on this show about having it available before you're able to get a driver's license. And then maybe even putting something in place... That has a, a recertification every time you get your driver's license after 10 years or whatever it is. But I think that the more people that we can get involved in, certainly from a high school standpoint, if we're teaching this young enough, if we're teaching not only, uh, you know, CPR, but the ability to activate the 911 system when that's right, and we're, we're able to teach people as young as we can and make it a requirement. I think that we're going to be able to see some difference. And I look at these numbers that's up on the screen right now, and I think it's made a difference, and, and I think it's a great move.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it should be intuitively obvious by now that, that public access to fibrillation and citizen CPR is is the real uh, lifesaver. Um, EMS simply doesn't have the resources to, to put to field all the personnel and equipment we need to, to really affect uh, outcomes in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And, and all the places you mentioned um, owe a big part of their success rates to, to public access to fibrillation and, and high participation in, in citizen CPR programs. I would be really interested to see what the numbers look like in my state because I've had some recent, uh, experience with, with, uh, CPR in schools and, and AEDs in schools. Um, and, and it was less than positive positive. And, and it's the, the problem in Louisiana and we have these laws that you speak of, Greg, we, we have, uh, um, laws that, that students have to be exposed to CPR training before they can graduate high school. And, uh, uh, a few years back, the, our Louisiana Bureau of EMS distributed a couple hundred AEDs around the states uh, under a, a massive grant program. Uh, and the deal was: is we'll give you uh, a Zoll AED plus uh, AED, um, and all you have to do is, is keep uh, maintain it. Just just put it up, uh, put it somewhere publicly accessible, uh, and and replace the batteries and replace the pads when they uh, when they expire and uh Nancy had a contract just recently to to go out and evaluate those and to and to update those AEDs with new operating software and of the 65 66 AEDs that she was responsible for for checking probably less than 10 of them had uh pads that weren't brittle and dried out and expired for 5 years and Probably less than ten percent of the AEDs had functioning batteries in them. They, had, the the people we gave them to, sat them on the wall uh, or sat them in a closet and and never put them out. You know, one school district in particular had fourteen AEDs assigned to their school district, and they sat in on a shelf in the warehouse and were never put out in the schools. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So it's one thing to mandate something, um, but but there's a gap, uh, especially in in our state. But I would suspect in others as well, particularly those poorer states that have limited education funds and they don't do a real good job with the education funds they are already allotted. Uh, there there's probably a gap where the the rubber doesn't quite meet the road there. Um, so do you but, think
2: that means, Kelly, that there's an opportunity for the survival rate to be even higher?
1: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I would say so. Uh, if, if those AEDs are effectively implemented um, and, and training provided, uh, I, I think those numbers could be even higher. Chris and, and Greg, we had we had AEDs that were, you know, and if you've ever seen one of the AEDs I'm speaking of, I mean, this thing has pictorial prompts. That light up in sequence right. it is literally a a almost idiot proof aed uh designed for people with no literary skills or uh, the functionally illiterate can use this aed and yet um we had school nurses who were locking them in closets uh so only the school nurse who is there two days a week maybe uh can can access the aed and some of them that were accessible to the other people, uh, to to other school administrators and and to school uh, and to students, um, they had replaced the uh, the prompts with their own prompts that were totally uh, uh, non-compliant with AHA standards. Uh,
0: the schooling
1: of, of even the medical professionals uh, on using an AED sucked yeah and this students were getting lip service paid to their cpr training uh, if, if even in that if even that
0: well, let me go ahead and and just touch on this a little bit because we got on this really for the the, the discussion about the education and right. high school students really kind of you know taking the lead but but just because they they have the cpr uh, you know have cPR in high school or they need to get cPR but you know before they get a driver 's license. Doesn't mean that they're going to use it or secondarily, just because we give them that education doesn't mean they're going to carry that education forward. But Kelly, I think when you were talking about this AED problem down there in Louisiana, that, you know, some of them are locked away or whatever it was. Where's the education coming from that those people know that those AEDs exist? Where's the education, where's the education coming from that you're able to use these AEDs or CPR along with? So, uh, you know, as Greg talks about this, this topic, he's giving us the, uh, I think he's leading us into something bigger by saying, do we need to have initial education at the younger, at the younger ages? for the opportunity to understand the importance of CPR-1 and then secondarily h- how those AEDs work and to look for them when we need them.
2: Yeah, so that's a pretty interesting thought, Chris, about when the best time for CPR training is and then how often do you have it. I think part of the reason I saw this as surprising result is uh, one of my opinions that I've held for uh, quite a long time is that we put too much of the burden on high school students uh, to say, require them to learn CPR. And there's initiatives afoot to require high school students to uh, learn how to place a tourniquet. And there's any number of things that we call on high school students to do, learn how to drive, learn how to be a good student, learn how to vote, et cetera. um, When perhaps the chance of a high school student witnessing cardiac arrest I still believe is relatively low compared to the three of us. I think the three of us, not of the work we do, but because of the age of people that we uh, hang out with, whether it be around the Thanksgiving table or at our hunting camps or just out and about in our communities, we're more likely to be around older people at higher risk of sudden cardiac arrest. Uh, That's why I was so sort of surprised. I wonder if there's something afoot that if in a state – that goes through the, I guess, fairly substantial process of enacting legislation, which then requires a curriculum to be developed, and ideally some systems of accountability that students are taught uh, this required uh, course for graduation. That there is also other strong efforts about it's uh, other strong efforts to teach bystanders CPR, whether it be right. speaking with community groups, public service announcements, um, that there's just other things going on in those states that make it more likely that bystanders have learned how to do CPR.
0: Well, let me let me jump in there first before, right. uh, Kelly, I'll, I'll give it to you. You know, we talk about the burden that we put on the high school students. I don't know that the cur- – you know, we talk about the curriculum in, in EMS all the time. I don't know that the curriculum that they teach in high school – really benefits the individual as they get into life. I mean, you know, I would have loved to have learned how to balance my checkbook. I would have loved to have learned financial management. But I tell you, I know what the heck a parallelogram is, but I've never really used that when it's come to, you know, making my ends meet kind of thing. So I think that the more that we can prepare people for life, certainly we do need to have the education of, you know, we speak English, but we've got to take English classes, and it's a really hard language to learn how to read and write, i got to tell you. And Kelly is still having problems at 50. But – but I, but I think that if we're able to teach some real practical skill and kind of change the things that people are saying, why do I've got to learn this? I, I think that there may be some benefit. But just my thought, Kelly. I'm sorry to cut you off.
1: Uh, first of all, my, my vocabulary is, is probably far larger than yours. The problem is that it's it's mostly slang terms for uh, for uh, poop jokes, and, and that's.
0: But <laughs> it's all the, it's all the same word too. You're, it's one word. Now we know what
1: yeah. Kelly learned in high school like Eskimos have 60 something words for snow I have uh, uh, I have 50 something words for idiot uh, but I you know you, you talk about not burdening the the high school students with this and it strikes me that number one, especially in my state there's a missed opportunity here for your local EMS systems to to put out some really good public outreach, community outreach, and, and public, uh, public relations uh, opportunity missed because uh, I would wager that uh, a number of, of high schools um, and, and EMS squads and the citizenry in general in many of these states that require CPR training don't realize that the CPR training is probably not being taught effectively. Uh, and that's an excellent way for for a, a volunteer rescue squad or your local EMS service uh, to go out there and do some community outreach and, and actually teach a legit CPR course uh, in the class that includes a skills component and a skills checkoff and a, and a card. Uh, that's one of the problems in Louisiana. There's no card requirement. So what happens is, is they get taught if they get taught anything with a skills component, more likely what they get is in a health class in about 15 minutes, they show a few slides or a video, uh, and then never check the students off. And that's the last they ever hear of it. And boom, presto change. you you're now have been exposed to CPR training. Um, nothing has, was done with an AED or anything else. If they could expand that to, to 30 minutes, uh, of of CPR training and and physical skills checkoff and and using an AED, I wonder how much better things would be. Yeah,
2: the problem. So I've is, got a I've got an exciting uh, follow up to this, Kelly. At the <laughs> same resuscitation science symposium, there was a presentation that found that a five minute CPR lesson at an airport kiosk teaches people CPR as well as a thirty minute class on CPR. There you so go. So hopefully better, you've
1: but- intensive they actually have to do it on the little on the little device in the kiosk
2: yeah so I, maybe you've seen these uh there's actually one at the dallas airport the american heart association uh learn hands only cpr kiosk i saw one recently in oakland california uh, but it's it's great it's right there up on the screen in front of you it explains to you what you need to do there's a mannequin chest in front of you and it gives you immediate real-time feedback about your performance, and I thought it was really interesting that, uh, you know, interesting implication for, I've taught a lot of CPR in, in my career, a really interesting application for instructors, including myself, of like, well, what am I doing when I have a student for 30 or 60 minutes that makes me as an instructor any better or value added compared to that same person spending five minutes with a machine,
0: So, But one of the things you said was that you had two press releases to talk about. What was the second one?
2: Well, the second, Kelly's alluded to this already, but it it just had to do with public AEDs are cost-effective for saving lives and improving cardiac arrest outcomes. And one of the things here, it's uh, it's sort of like uh, a lot of people would say, well, duh, we need science to uh, tell us that AEDs are useful. I think part of what uh, struck me on this is that um, even in in locations with maybe a relatively small attendance or frequency of visitors, it probably makes sense from a sort of like the value of a potential life save to locate uh, AEDs in more places um, from, you know, the places that we might commonly think of like airport or a school where there's a lot of people in and out or a sports arena, but even other, I guess, places with either a, a low, a lower sort of like daily population or a lower density. And the I, I, that's a question that I get from time to time is, should we have an AED at such and such place? And I've always just sort of said, well, sure, if you can afford it or find grant funding for it, absolutely do it. Um, And then people I say, well, do we have enough people here to make it worth our while? And I often just default to yes. And I feel like here's some helpful that that they've done some research and said, yes, we should have AEDs basically more places than we do already. People
1: ask me that question and, and I'll say, well, all right, how far do you live? from a fire station or an ambulance station. Is it more than 10 minutes? Uh, and, you know, most of the people in, in my part of the state will raise their hand and I'll say, okay, so if you go into cardiac arrest at home, you die. Yeah. Period. You period. You die. If you don't have prompt defibrillation, your chances of surviving that event are, are minimal. Uh, and there's a direct correlation to, you know, the, the rapidity of deploying that AED and survival rates. So, I think one of the major problems is uh, with, you know, where, where the the gap was in our state is, is no one sold it to them. They gave them a free device, but they never told uh, told the schools or the the police departments or anything why that free device was, was useful Mm -hmm. and, and, and how they should deploy it. Uh, And, and hence they didn't really value it. Uh, But, this study about about the cost savings and the cost effectiveness of of applying an AED and putting it in terms of of man years uh, like productive life years saved and the dollar value on that goes a long way toward really uh, uh, driving home or emphasizing the the importance of, of prompt uh, early defibrillation and, and how much it can save us in the long run.
2: Chris, one of the stats in this article is uh, the patients that received aED pad application thirty uh, percent of them survived out to one month with favorable neurological outcome compared to nine point seven percent of patients who had not received aed pad application and I think that you know increased rate of survival especially with the favorable neurological outcome is part of the reason that we're in in this business uh, and you know so making those I think that that speaks to Kelly's uh, important point of like, you know, selling or explaining to people, here's why having an AED in your school and these businesses and other public gathering spots and police cars uh, as well makes a lot of sense.
0: You know, I think that you know having access. We, we've known this for years that being able to have access to AEDs is really one of the the strongest links, if, if there's one that's stronger in that chain of survival. But but even more importantly, I think the 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 thing that I got from this article as well is not the opportunity of you know better neurological outcomes, even even for a shorter time. Uh, you know, any time that is, but it's it's more importantly that you need to have it. But the article also talks about that if you acquire an AED, you want to be able to notify your local EMS office. You want the licensed physician or medical authority to provide some medical oversight to ensure quality control. And this is what the article says. But but one of the things that happened about 2007 at MedStar in Fort Worth, Texas. You talk about Texas EMS, Ernie Rodriguez, who is a friend and mentor of mine, who's now the chief at Austin. Travis County EMS, started the endeavor that whoever had an AED in Fort Worth, Texas, to get in touch with the 911 center to register your AED. And then when someone called 911, we were able to say, look, this is what you want to do, you want to start CPR, send somebody three doors down to this place, they've got an AED, go get it. So it's not just the fact of AEDs make the difference, but we've got to be able that the people that have AEDs, until we can get them in the common places, remember when we were talking about Greg and Kelly about putting them in the airports, and oh my gosh, now they have them in Chicago, and now they have them in Dallas, and now we can't get away from them being in those common areas but unless we know where they are how can they be successful to use
1: and and you know that's uh, another huge prop to medstar being ahead of their time uh you know and, and ahead of the industry in many ways and there there they are crowdsourcing uh public access defibrillation uh, before there was a PulsePoint app or, or, or anything like that. Another uh, intriguing idea uh, struck me uh, before we, we scheduled this podcast is uh, now there are companies that are offering AED as a service. Greg, you mentioned, uh, you know, people wanting to buy AEDs and, and it, the caveat was if you can afford it or you can find grant funding for it, by all means get one. And I mentioned the the training gap and the the and the maintenance gap, and these people, these AEDs were distributed to police departments, fire departments, and schools with no plan on how to keep them uh, with an expectation that the, the people who received them would, would upkeep them. That never happened. Well, there are people now that, there are companies now that provide, there's uh, one who has a booth here at the conference. They provide AED as a service. Uh, you pay them a monthly subscription fee that is far less than the, than the cost of an AED, and they will provide the AED, come out, set it up at your at your uh, uh, business, um, maintain it, do the the system checks and the battery checks and replace the pads as they expire. And, and even come in and do uh, annual or semi-annual training uh, on your employees to, to do CPR and actually utilize that AED. So it's no longer cost prohibitive. To, own an AED, uh, to have an AED at your business. Right. If you can afford an extra $25, 30 $40 a month, uh, you can have an AED there.
2: Well, guys, thanks for discussing these, uh, these announcements from the Resuscitation Science Symposium with me. I think it's uh, just my closing thought would be that uh, as EMS providers, we should be learning about what works and how well different interventions work, and there continues to be... I believe a growing body of evidence that early activation of 911, hands only CPR, especially those instructions coming from a, a trained dispatcher, and then early being able to find and then apply AED early uh, make a really significant impact on patient survival. And I think Kelly's point about there's a, a real opportunity for. EMS agencies and their providers to uh, get into schools and businesses and civic organizations and speak about these topics, and then what happens next when EMS provide it was, arrives and how much better the patient's chances of survival are if bystanders, whether it be high school students or senior citizens, take actions uh, before EMS arrives it really makes a difference. So thanks for the opportunity to discuss. Yep.
1: It was great having you, Greg, and I I, I fully agree with you, Greg, and and I can only reiterate your your main points, but hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. What are the obstacles to CPR and public access defibrillation in your community? How can you and your EMS agency overcome those obstacles? We'd like to hear your thoughts and suggestions at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, and for myself and co-host Chris Ciballero and our fearless leader, Greg Friese. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.